Our first reading is from Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, and can be found on page, the bottom of page 4 in the Church Bibles. Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man named each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to the God. Second reading, the parable of the sower, is Luke chapter 8, verse 9 to 15, on page 1037 of your Bibles. His disciples asked him what this paragraph meant, what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge, the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that those seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, 
But as they go on on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by perseverance produce a crop. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a communicating God. And I pray through the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts may now and always be not only acceptable to you, our strength and our redeemer, but bear fruit to the honor of your name. Amen. Harvest is a wonderful time of year. Wendy and I spent seven years uh, towards the end of, of my term of ordained ministry in the countryside looking after nine rural churches. And there was considerable competition between those nine churches as to which one could produce the most beautiful display for Harvest Festival Thanksgiving. I'm glad I was never given the job of judging between them. So often in good weather, our countryside is absolutely superbly beautiful. And those of us who live in the city would do well to get out at this time of year into the countryside. I hope you didn't try yesterday. It was a little bit wet, but there are days when it's so beautiful. God has blessed the earth. Ever since he made the promise to Noah after the flood, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. But his blessings go further back than the time of Noah to the creation of God. Amazingly, God drew man into his plan and partnership with himself in creation. We've seen evidence in front of our eyes this morning of a little baby in church to which you're all supposed to go, oh, no, it's all right. But that's what God commanded us to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Not too many nowadays. Having made man in his own image, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And later, as the creation record reiterated in chapter 2, was that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, how many of you love gardening? One, two. Oh no, there's a few more. Right. Can I say that your gardening efforts 
in comparison with Adam's, are pretty useless. Because, you see, in the time of Adam, there were no weeds, no thistles, no thorns. So all the time you spent digging and getting rid of stuff, as my wife helped our son and daughter-in-law in their home in Waterlooville to do Saturday week ago, and got five bags of rubbish to dispose of from one fairly small garden. There's no need of that in the Garden of Eden. Didn't that make you smile? You didn't even have to go out with a hose or a bucket or a watering can because the Bible clearly tells us that God made streams come up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Wow, what a fantastic job Adam had. Sadly, after sin entered, everything changed. And this damaged the relationship between the man and God. We read these sad words. God drove the man out of the garden. Cursed is the ground because of you, God said. It will produce thorns and thistles. And God said, through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. St. Jude's Church is entering on a year of outreach, a year of mission. I quote from a leaflet that Neil, our assistant vicar, has passed around. St. Jude's South Sea is embarking on a year of mission. The aim of this year is to take the good news of Jesus out into the area and see people come to know Jesus in a new and transforming way. We'll hear a lot more about that next Sunday when Andrew Hargreaves is coming from the diocesan headquarters to help launch this year of mission here in St. Jude's. So what for you and me? In the earlier verses of Luke chapter 8, Jesus has been teaching a large crowd about a farmer who went out to sow his seed. The disciples came to Jesus afterwards, and privately to the twelve, he explained to them every bit of the parable he had just told to the people. It's the only parable which Jesus, the Son of God, gave to his own teaching to the people. And therefore, it is the first and most important of the parables that Jesus told. For you and me, God the Father has made the Holy Spirit the farmer. But in this and so many of the parables, the whole point he is trying to get across is that we, that's you and I, have responsibility under God's authority to act as local farmers. God wants you and me to be involved. 
All the way through the New Testament, this message comes loud and clear. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. When Jesus' family turn up, as one gospel writer says, thinking he was mad and they wanted to take him away, and Jesus was told, your mom and your brothers and sisters are outside. Jesus replied, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. For the whole of his time with them, both in public and when the twelve were alone with him, Jesus was leading them to become those who shared the good news of the kingdom of God. St. Jude's Fellowship is just starting on such a special period for us. We're going to be spending time now until Christmas in learning to understand the task that is ahead of us. <coughs> then from early January to Easter, there will be practical training for everyone, and after Easter, we shall embark on the mission to bring the good news of the kingdom of God to our friends and neighbors so that, again, in Neil's words, they can be rescued and restored to the love of Jesus. This pattern of training, practical help, and then in being sent out, follows very closely on the pattern that the Lord Jesus had with his 12 disciples. He trained them, then he sent them out to preach and to heal. First, the 12 were sent out, as told by the next chapter after the one that we were reading, chapter 9. Jesus sent out the 12. Then in chapter 10, we read he sent out 72 others, as described in, as I say, the chapter 10, from which passage Andrew Hargreaves will be preaching next Sunday morning. So come along and learn a little bit more about what lies ahead of us. Back to Jesus' interpretation of his parable. The seed is the word of God. That's it, the Bible. This book is the supreme guideline of all that happens in St. Jude's on Sundays and from Monday to Saturday. This book is central to our worship. It's read especially and then preached on. It is before us all. You've got one right next to you now in the chairs where you are. When Wendy and I were looking after a little daughter church in Worthing, it was fabulous actually. It was 25 chairs round and three rounds back from front to back. So in preaching, if anyone was asleep in the third road, I could spit on them and, and make sure they woke up. It was lovely. 
Up above, there was a platform or, or, or balcony which seats another 25. So about 110 or so, and we used to get about 80 or 90 just about every Sunday, with, like St. Jude's, a large proportion going out and leaving us the little children. We used to have two services. One was 1662, where you stood to attention, you said what you were supposed to say, you stood up when you, everybody else stood up and sat down and, and so on. And, and woe betide you if you put a word out of place. The other was a chaotic family service. And the vicar asked me if I would uh, work on bringing the two services together so that the whole church was one. Because at the time when we got there, we found that the, the old people going out of the first service were knocked over almost like nine pins by the children rushing in to the second service. Didn't look too good. Didn't feel too good if you were an old person. So we pulled them together into one service. It took a lot of doing, a lot of information, a lot of letter writing, a lot of talking, and we did it. And I thought, there's something missing here. And one, uh, one Sunday after the service, a couple of dear old ladies came up to me and, and said, John, we feel God wants to make a gift to Emmanuel Church of 60 Bibles for the chairs. I said, that would be wonderful. They arrived within two weeks. But after about a month, I said to these ladies, <coughs> thank you so much for that lovely gift. Do you think we could have 20 more? And within a fortnight, there were 20 more. And there was a Bible for everyone in church. It was incredible. Because again and again, whenever the preacher, and it wasn't always only me, was turned to the Word of God, everybody was turning to it. There's nothing magical about this book, but it does contain the inspired Word of God given over many hundreds, if not thousands of years. That's why it's so important in St. Jude's. We not only have one beside every single chair in church, but we get it up on the screens behind us. At a baptism have we seen this morning? Hold it up. Hold, hold. Go on, hold it up. So the big picture. And it's the Bible told in stories and pictures for children. Now, you've made a promise this morning that you're going to teach day after day. Now, when I meet you in years' time, I want to ask you how much you took. It's very important. We don't give it for fun. The candle is truly a beautiful symbol of the light of the world. As you come into church, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. As you go out... He, using Jesus' words, you are the light of the world. May that be true for this little one as well. At confirmation services, a copy of the Bible 
is at once and again absolutely paramount. At ordination services, a copy of the Scriptures is given to each ordinand. This is the foundation of your faith. The prayer book is important, but the Bible is the Word of God. Actually, the prayer book contains a massive amount of the Word of God as well. From the cradle to the grave. The Word of God is important. There was a lovely, marvelous evangelist, I think one of the greatest evangelists of my lifetime, a chap called Billy Graham. And he used to hold up the Bible every time he preached. The Bible says, I can't do it in an American accent, I'm sorry. But for Billy, this was the supreme important textbook of anything and everything to do with Christianity. The Bible says. Oh, there was one more service I wanted to mention. I was neither there nor am ever likely to be when our gracious Queen was crowned as Queen of England and the Commonwealth. These are the lively oracles of God were some of the words that were said to her when Elizabeth received the Bible. And she, thank God, has stood on her Christmas speeches several times. I remember once, about 14 years ago, the first time I heard it, she said, I hold my sovereignty as a Christian under the sovereignty of God. I wrote to her, dear mom, fairly simple letter just to thank her for her standing as a Christian being broadcast all around the world. I got a reply. How about that? Came from Sandringham, from one of the ladies in waiting. But it was obviously quoting directly out of my letter. I don't know if Elizabeth ever saw it or not. But it's the lively oracles of God. What about you and me? We all know the Bible is important. What about you and me in this year of mission, when the Bible will be your textbook? This is not Mike Duff's year. It's not Neil Smart's year or Adam's. It's not even a year for the PCC and the church wardens alone. It's for all of us. Hands up all those who aren't included in all of us. Oh, so that means you. I wonder if you've ever heard the poem, Christ has no hands but our hands. The story is told in the last war that the city of Strasbourg was destroyed by bomber command in the RAF. <clears throat> there was a particular church that just became a heap of rubble, masonry and glass and broken timber. Devastating experience as the people of Coventry also experienced for their cathedral. 
It came after the war to the time when the people were planning to restore their church and slowly, bit by bit, the rubble was got rid of and the church was rebuilt in Strasbourg. But as they were digging out the rubble and the rubbish, they came on one piece which seemed to be virtually complete. And when they took stuff away around it, it was a picture of Christ in a statue form, standing life high at six or seven feet. And it was looked initially completely undamaged. But as they looked closer and swept us away, they found it had no hands. The hands on both sides had been broken off, but no other damage to the rest of the sculpture. So their equivalent of the PCC got together and said, we must repair this, the whole church. And as part of the restoration, a sculptor came forward and offered his professional services free of charge to make two new hands and several thought that would be wonderful. But as the church council discussed, they said, no, thank you very much indeed. Our broken statue touches the spirits of men, but that he has no hands to minister to the needy or feed the hungry or enrich the poor, except our hands. He inspires, we perform. And Annie Flint wrote this poem. I found it in my father's Bible soon after the Second World War. Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in his way. He has no tongues but our tongues to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to lead men to his side. We are the only Bible the careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message, given in deed and word. What if the type is crooked? What if the print be blurred? What if our hands are busy with work that is not his? What if our feet are walking where sin's attraction is? What if our tongues are speaking of things his lips would spurn? How can we hope to help him and hasten his return? The Lord needs, yes, I say that again, the Lord needs each one of us in this year of mission, which we're going to learn more of next Sunday. 
There's no one but no one but no one should feel excluded in any way at all. You see, each one of us, if I asked you to write down on a piece of paper the names of the people that you know well, it would probably amount to about a hundred. And many of those might be repeated on several people's list within the same family. But we would come up with a total list of people known to people in St. Jude's, which I guess would be well over a thousand. I don't know. Don't let your hands, don't let my hands be busy with work that is not his. May God bless each one of us. I met Billy Graham on the streets of Cambridge. I was an undergraduate at the time. I hasten to add that I only did one year in Cambridge and then the examiners didn't feel that I had attained the right marks, and so um, I left. FBA, that's me. John Dean Gray, failed BA. I then went into the Royal Air Force and did the easy job of flying aeroplanes. But when I met Billy Graham, just for 10 minutes, chatting with him, and he wrote a verse into my Bible, not this one, I've had many since then, and it was Philippians 1 verse 6. Being confident, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I don't know when the day of Jesus Christ is going to be. Nor do you. Don't go and ask Mike or even Adam afterwards because they don't know either. In fact, the Bible teaches us only God, his Father, knows. But he's coming back. Jesus is coming back. Let us be found about the Master's business. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that when you send us out, as Paul taught to the Philippians, it's you who is performing, not us. If it's us, it's a waste of time. We are your servants, Lord. Cleanse us and prepare us for this year of training, of learning, of mission. For Jesus' namesake.